This morning, we're going we're gonna to start a series, and, and I think it'll probably last about four weeks. It may last five, but, but I want to talk about something, that, and I want to share something with you, and, and this, is, this is kind of one of those things that I really believe God's called me into ministry to share this message. Uh, it may be a little bit different than, 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 than what you're familiar with or are used to, but this is a message that God has placed close to my heart. And he, he's drawn me into this, and he continues to draw me into this. And so I, I just want to share it because I believe what I want to talk to you today about and over the next few weeks will revelate, well, it will if I can get it out. It will revolutionize your relationship with Christ. I really believe that. I've chosen to call it a question of the heart, and we'll we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But this is the most of you know this is the first Sunday of a brand new year. It's 2013. Uh, the neat thing about that for most of us is the script for 2013 hasn't been written yet. We we still got a, a fairly blank slate. Amen. Not sure, you know, what, what, what the year holds for us is a mystery. Now, we understand there are a few things that are going to take place probably in our lives. I mean, you know, if you, if you own a, a house payment, uh, own a house, you're probably going to have a house payment. That'll continue. Uh, you're probably going to have to pay your, your electrical bill, your water bill, those kind of things. But there are a lot of things that are still a, 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 a mystery. Is this the year that your dreams come true? How many of you have it? You don't have to raise your hand, okay? But how many of you have a dream? There's something that, that God has put in your spirit that you want to see happen before you die. Okay. This may be the year. It may be the year. Uh, is this the year it comes true? Is this the year you achieve those goals that, that you set years ago? And you've been chasing for a long time. Is this the year that, that those things take place? The reality of, of a new year, though, is that it brings a lot of unanswered questions. What's going to happen? When's it going to happen? Is it gonna, are we going to be successful? Are we going to be a failure? When, how, where? All those things. If we're honest, we got more questions probably about 2013 than we have answers. Amen? Got a lot of questions. But I think questions are very, very important. I don't think there's anything wrong with questions. Questions make us think. And no matter what the talking heads on TV tell you, thinking is a very, very good thing. I'm going to say that again. Thinking is a very, very good thing. We are losing the ability in this nation to think for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with thinking for yourself. There's no wrong, nothing wrong with questioning things. I, I, used, to, uh, I used to love to talk to, to, to young men and women that, that were uh, freshmen and, and sophomores in college because the first thing they, they, they were challenged with when they got to college was they were challenged, some professor challenged their faith. And all of a sudden they weren't sure anymore. And they had all these questions. And I used to love to talk to them because, you know what? God doesn't mind questions. If we're honest and, and we're sincere, he's not, he's not threatened by our questions. Believe me, he has an answer for that question. And so I used to love to talk to, to students like that. But, but questions force us to wrestle with and to face what we believe and why we believe it. There's a lot of easy believism 
in the world, especially in the church. Well, this is what my granddaddy believed, and this is what he taught me, and this is what I believe, and, and this is what my kids believe. And, and, and the first time that we're challenged with, well, why do you believe that? Well, this is what my granddaddy believed, and this is what my daddy believed, and this is what I've taught my kids. And, well, why do you believe that? Well, uh, and, and they're just, they're stumped. And so I, I think questions are good. Okay, I, I I think if you if you really believe something, you ought to you should know why you believe it. You should know, and so it forces us to face what we believe and to wrestle and, and why we believe it. Thinking demands that that we kind of take data and information and process it and come to a conclusion, a decision. How many of you like making decisions? There's, I, I got one person in here, and I guarantee you that's true. Decisions are good things. There's nothing wrong with making decisions. Decisions determine where we go. Do you realize that decisions you make today are going to determine what happens the next year? It's not the decisions you make six months from now. It's the decisions you're making right now. It's little decisions that make a difference. And our our decisions determine who we are. They determine where we go, what we achieve. Why we do whatever it is we're doing. Our decisions really declare what we think are the answers to our questions. Our actions, whatever they are, are the result of what we think. Don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you believe. I mean, I've had people tell, tell me what they believed, but, I, but had they not said anything, I would never have known it. And, and I've probably done the same thing. Actions, I heard this all my life, actions speak louder than words. And so our decisions declare what we think the answers are to the questions that we're confronted with. And and my answer to those questions, your answers to those questions, will determine what we do and what happens to us in 2013. My answer and your answers write the script. That'll guide us this next year whether we're going up or whether we're going down. So when confronted with the question, it's vital that we understand it, and it's vital that we answer it. It's going to determine the path that we take. Now, whether you believe this or not, the most important choice that you make this year will have nothing to do with your family. It'll have nothing to do with your health. It'll have nothing to do with your marriage, your job, your 401k, your stock market uh, investments, your dieting, your exercise, all of those things. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. All of those things are important. Okay? They really are. Your health's important. Your investments are important. Your family, your marriage, your children, all of those are important. But that's not the most important question that you're going to answer. And I'm going to challenge you with a question this morning. Because I believe this is the most important question that any of us will answer this year. And I want you to listen to me. The question is whether or not you will actively pursue an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't say get saved, okay? If if you're lost this morning and you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus Christ. That will be the most important decision you make this year. But if you've made that decision... The question is, will you or will you not actively, there's a key word, 
actively pursue, there's another key word, a relationship with Jesus Christ. So you can passively have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't passively pursue him, but you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ that, that's just static. Okay? But God doesn't want static relationships with us, folks. He wants passionate relationships. We were created for relationship. It's what makes us tick. I love what F.F. Bruce said. F.F. Bruce is, is one of the saints that was a, a Bible scholar and a student, and, and I've got a ton of his commentaries. This is what he said. He said, The soul's deepest thirst for God himself, who made us, or who has made us so that we can never be satisfied without him. God created us with a hunger. Folks, it's in here. It goes further than the bone, okay? It, it goes all the way into your soul and into your spirit. There's a, there's a hunger there. There's a desire there in every human being for God. You say, well, well why didn't every human being come to know God? Well, Let's look at ourselves. How passionately are we pursuing God? Say, we're the, we're the billboards. We're the advertisement for Jesus Christ. What do people see when they look at us? Now, I don't want to talk about that this morning, but, but I do want to, I want to talk about re- relationship. Folks, that's what makes us tick. That's what energizes us. You out of gas this morning? You want to get energy? It won't come through exercise. It may come through exercise a little bit. It may come from eating right a little bit. But if you want to be energized again, grab hold of Jesus Christ passionately. Now, I'm going to use those words, and and I realize that part of my audience this morning are going to kind of cringe when I use that word. When I use passionate and intimate, okay, those those are not words we, 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 we typically want to use in church. That's because the world has taken those words and redefined them. Okay? Passionate means I'm going for it with all my gusto I got. Okay? Tomorrow night, there are a lot of folks in this room are going to cheer for one team. And there's a lot of folks in this room going to cheer against that team. Okay? But here's what's going to happen. Whichever team you cheer for, they'll be passionate. Amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I can already see it in some of you. Okay? I know already. You're passionate about it, okay? There's nothing wrong with being passionate about your favorite team. Nothing. Folks, we have a God who, when we were yet sinners, destined for hell, got up off his throne and came to get us personally and tracked each one of us down and knew our name, and knew what we needed, and knew what it would take for us to understand how much he loved us. Folks, if you can't get passionate about that, you you need to check your birth papers here, okay? Your your certificate. Passion is a good thing. I mean, without passion, we just will be dead. If If you can't get excited about some things in life, you know what? You ought to be dead. In fact, most people that are passionless are dead. And we're passionate about all kinds of things. Food, for instance. I mean, I, you know, I like good food. You can look at me and tell, okay? 
I love it. I, I'm passionate about my family. We spent the day yesterday with my granddaughter, and and I I, I'm, I weigh I don't know how much she weighs. And I don't, I'm going to tell you how much I weigh, but I weigh a lot more than she does, and she wore me out. The harder I the rougher I got with her. She's five years old. The rougher she got with me. She is passionate about it, and 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 I finally had to say, hey, that's it. Go wrestle with your grandma with, with tats. Wrestle with my, uh, your tats there. Let her wear you. Let her wear you. Well, she didn't wear her out either. She can't. Uh, 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 she wore both out, but she's passionate. She, she doesn't do anything halfway. And folks, God is looking for some men and some women and some boys and girls who will be passionate with him and who will get to know him, who will be intimate with him. And I'm going to talk about intimacy a little bit this morning, and over the next few weeks I, I'm going to share. Listen, what I'm talking about is not praying more, Okay? Prayer is important, and folks, we're going to pray. But that's not what I'm talking about. Reading your Bible is, is critical. And that's one of the reasons we're, we're reading together through the Bible this year as a church. It, it's important, but that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, time doesn't necessarily equate with, with relationship. You can spend a lot of time doing something and have no relationship, have no intimacy, have no, intimacy, have no passion. But folks, what I'm talking about truly energizes us. It truly makes us come alive. But the reality of relationship is that it requires a continual investment and constant maintenance. You, you can't take a day off. You can't take 15 minutes off or a day off here or, or, or a month off. It's, it's a moment-by-moment moment job, Okay? Now, some of you may be thinking uh, that, well, Nelson, I didn't, I didn't think this stuff with God was about work. Listen to me. I want you to hear me, what I'm about to say. Salvation, coming to Christ in faith, and being born again has nothing to do with our work, okay? It is a free gift, a free gift. It was given by God. Everything that needs to happen has already been done by Jesus Christ. Everything. Even the belief that we, we, we have, He gives us as a gift. It's a free gift. Okay? Salvation is free. But listen to me. Relationship will cost you everything. It's work. Okay? And you can have as much of God, you'll hear me say this over and over and over through this series, you can have as much of God as you want. And you have as much of God right now as you want. But here's the reality of it. Once you taste Him in relationship, a little bit doesn't do it anymore. You know, I just can't eat one bite of steak. i got to clean the plate. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? I, I, we, I, went to, uh, I went to see a movie with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and they, we went to a steak place, and, and they cut their steaks in half, and they all ate half of theirs. And, man, my plate looked like somebody licked it clean over there. I, I just could, I couldn't, I can't do that. I don't know why I'm telling you all that. But you're either all in or, or you're nothing. And so we're, we're going to talk about that this morning. It's, it's, it's real work. And, and what I'm talking about this morning is about the depth of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's depth. 
Let me ask you this. Is it intimate? So we've, we've got an idea of what intimacy is. Intimacy is, and I'll explain this a little bit more, but, but it's just closeness. It's friendship. That's what it really is. It's when there's nothing between you and the person you have a relationship with. There, there's nothing hidden. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But is it intimate or is it distance? Is it cherished or is it taken for granted? Is it friendly and familiar or is it distant and formal? Is it shallow or is it deep? People get all upset when I say this, but I'm sorry. This is, this is what a lot of people's relationship with Jesus is. Is it an eternal fire insurance policy? I mean, hey, I'm, I know Jesus. I'm not going to hell. Well, fantastic. Tell me a little more, though. Is it is it a fire insurance policy? Or, folks, is it a, a, a love affair? I mean, not just a love affair, but an extreme love affair. There's a difference. And you know what? Our answers to those questions reveal whether or not it's intimate and passionate or it's non-existent. When I counseled a great deal I would very often ask people I'd say let me let me ask you what your relationship because to be honest with you everybody whether you realize this or not everybody in the state of Alabama that I dealt with would tell you they knew Jesus yes sir I never asked them if they were saved because that was a 100% sure to get me a yes everybody knows Jesus or they know a little bit about Jesus, okay? That doesn't mean they know Jesus. But one thing I learned in counseling was not to ask the question that way because I'm going to get a yes or sure. Man, I've gone to church all my life. I would ask it this way. If you and Jesus were walking down the road, where would you guys be positioned? Would you be walking arm in arm? Would be he be a few inches away from you? few feet away from you or would he be on one side of the road and you'd be on the other side and people had to think about it see our relationship can be anywhere in between or you know what Jesus can be so far ahead that we can't even see him because we're dragging behind so there's there's lots of, of, of room uh, where we can be in our relationship but, but some people struggle with the idea of having an intimate, passionate relationship with God. For a lot of believers, that seems impossible. And that, Pastor, you don't know what I've done, who I am, and you don't know what I struggle with. You know what? I could say the same thing. Hey, you know what? You don't know what I struggle with. You don't know where I am and where I've been and what I've done. I mean, that's just reality. All of us have a suitcase we drag with us. All of us. Can I just tell you something? You get passionate and intimate with Jesus, he'll unpack your suitcase. And all you'll have is a container to carry. And I'm going to tell you what, an empty container is a lot lighter than a heavy container. But some people struggle with the idea of having a, a, a relationship with Jesus. They struggle with, with using terms like uh, uh, intimacy and, and passion. And, and I can remember teaching a, a class and talking about how uh, worship, one of the words for worship is literally to kiss the face of God. When we worship, folks, we are kissing God. And can I just tell you something? When you kiss God, He kisses back. 
There's, there's a song, I wish I could think of it and get the words right now, but I can't. But it, it talks about God kissing us. And in the original way that it was written, it was a sloppy, wet kiss. Now we, they changed it, okay? Because that people couldn't handle it. I'm going to tell you something. When my granddaughter kisses me, I don't care how much she slobbers on me. I just don't care. I'll be honest with you, I don't care how much Kathy slobbers on me when she kisses me. I, I just, I like to be kissed. And folks, when God kisses us, He doesn't halfway do anything. It's all or nothing. I know some of you are getting really uncomfortable because, listen, your picture of God is an angry deity whose goal is to get even with you no matter how long it takes. That's your picture of God. He's tracking you. And He's just waiting for you to mess up so He can cock the lightning bolt and let one go. I mean, that's where you say, Nelson, you're nuts. No, I'm not. Because that's where I used to be. I thought I was going to mess up. And when I messed up, God's going to burn me. And I felt like every time something happened, that was just God burning me. Listen to me. God put all that garbage on Jesus Christ and nailed him to the cross so that he couldn't get off with that stuff. We don't have to bear it anymore. Now, I know some of us have been taught that. We've, we, we've been taught that by, and, and, and this is my picture of it, some wind-sucking, screaming preacher, okay? Now, there's nothing wrong with wind-sucking, and there's no, nothing wrong with screaming, Okay? Nothing wrong with veins bulging out. But listen to me. The God that we worship is not angry anymore. Read your Bible. He poured out His wrath on Jesus Christ. His wrath is satisfied in Jesus Christ. He's not out to get us. He's not. It's the devil who's told us that God's angry. You've messed up. God can't stand that. God can't forgive you. God can't. Listen to me. There's no such thing as God can't. Okay? Because God is the God of impossible. The angel said, for nothing is impossible with God. I'm preaching stuff I didn't know I was going to preach. Listen to me. I want to balance that. Okay? I want to balance that. That picture that most of us have heard of an angry God is not the, is not the portrait the Bible paints. It's not the portrait. God is holy, okay? God's holy, and God's righteous. He is. But God is also merciful and graceful and loving. And if you know Christ this morning, He's paid for your garbage. He's nailed it to the cross. And if you don't know him this morning, he wants to pay for you. He's already paid for it. He just wants you to walk into the blessing of, of living without that garbage hanging over you and the debt that's there. Folks, God created us for intimacy. He created Adam and he created Eve in the very beginning. That was his plan. And he doesn't have a plan B. I want you to understand, there is no plan B. There's only an A plan. And never, never once did God consider, you know what, this is not going to work. I'm going to have to come up with something else. 
No, he didn't. He just kept working. Why? Because he wanted intimacy with the man and with the woman. He wanted intimacy with us. He wanted a relationship with us. He wanted us to, 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 to embrace that relationship. Folks, we were made for intimacy. Okay? And I, and I will explain what I mean by that. I just mean friendship. Heart to heart, spirit to spirit friendship. If you have a, a friend this morning, it may be your spouse, and, and you, guys, you, you guys have heart to heart, spirit to spirit connection. You're friends. That's intimacy. You may have somebody that, that you've known all your life. And, and there's, there's nothing that that person doesn't know about you, and yet they love you just the same. That's intimacy. That's what God wants to have with us. It's far more than an occasional encounter. That's what we've been taught in the media and with the movies, that it's an encounter. Intimacy is an encounter. It's not. It's an intense relationship that fully satisfies the longings of our heart. And folks, it only results when you and I pursue God with a hungry heart that refuses to accept anything less. If you will accept anything less, the devil will serve it up to you. If, if you'll come to church, you say, well, listen, church is a good thing. Yes, it is. We have been commanded to gather together and to worship together. But if you'll accept the, the experience you have right here, you know what? The devil will serve it up to you. He'll give you a good experience. But folks, this is not all relationship is about. There's more. It's a passion that can't be quenched. A simple definition, the, the most simple definition of intimacy that I know a friend gave to me, and it's into me you see. I want you to think about that. Into me you see. The more we allow God to see into us, the more he allows us to see into him. Now, you need to realize this. He already sees everything in you. Okay? He already knows everything. But he wants us to take down the walls. He sees through the walls. But he wants us to take down the walls. And when we allow God to see into us in that way, every time we take a step deeper into intimacy with him, you know what God does? He reveals himself a little bit more to us. You study the life of Abraham. Study the life of Moses. Moses meets God at the burning bush. And years later, maybe not years, months later, as he spends time with God, what does Moses ask for on the mountain? God, show me your glory. Show me who you really are. And what does God do? He shows him. It blows his circuit. It turns his hair white. Y'all seen the Charlton Heston movie? Y'all know what I'm talking about. It just it, it bleaches him out. Scripture says that when he comes off the mountain that he had to wear a, a veil because the folks, they couldn't, they couldn't handle it. He was glowing like he'd been nuked. He had. He'd been in the presence of God. Nobody on, in, uh, none of those two and a half million Jews had to say, hey, where have you been? They knew where he had been and they knew where, who he had been with. See, folks, Moses pursued God. But folks, we will never, never find God in a deep abiding relationship if we don't pursue it. We have to be willing to search out the heart of God. Salvation's free. 
relationship costs everything. God's not hiding. But unless we pay the price, we're not going to have this spiritual connection I'm talking about. This kind of intimacy that I'm talking about is, is called in Scripture friendship with God. Bible says in the New Testament of, of, of Abraham, he was a friend of God. He was a friend of God. I, I love the story there in Genesis where God has come down. He's heard the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he comes down. And on his way down to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the wickedness of that area, he stops by his friend's house and has a meal. And as he gets ready to leave, he says, you know what? I need to share with my friend. I need to share with Abraham what I'm about to do. And what does Abraham do? Abraham intercedes for the wicked. He says, God, what if there's 50 there? I'll spare them. What if there's 40? I'll spare them. What if there's 30? I'll spare them. What if there's 20? I'll spare them. God, what if there's 10? I'll spare them. It's the conversation, not between a master and a servant, but a conversation between two friends. God, I know you're righteous and holy, but what if? What if? I'll do that. I'll do that. You see what I'm talking about? Jesus called his disciples friends. They'd traveled with him. They knew him. They'd been intimate with him. They'd spent three and a half years eating and sleeping and teaching and walking and suffering together. They were his friends. And true friendship is marked by a love that results in transparency. It's the ability to see inside without any obstructions. And folks, when, when somebody can look into you, they see the real person. Not the person that we moose up, jail up, tuck in, cover up powder on tent this, tent that not that person, but the real person the person of the heart that means if God sees that person we don't have anything to hide with God you know what let's just be real honest, that scares most of us to death doesn't it does me does me but in reality, what can you hide from God anyway? What can you hide? What's missing in most of our lives this morning is a true friendship with God. It's an intimate relationship. We fear it, so we don't pursue it. So we've been taught all this stuff that this will die and that will die and you'll have to give this up. And, and you know what? In a friendship, you give up things because you have to or because you want to? You answer that question. It's because you want to. You know what? I, I'm not going to watch football games all day Saturday and all day Sunday like I used to when I was single. Is it because I don't want to? I don't want to anymore. It's not because I have to. It's because I don't want to. I still love football. But you know what? Football's not the most important thing on my monitor. I've got, I've got a family. I've got a wife. You see what I'm talking about? This is just normal stuff. What works with God works at home, too. And what works at home works with God most of the time. And so that means we don't have anything tied, and that scares us. And, and so we don't, we don't pursue it. And if we don't 
pursue it, folks. We're not going to embrace it. Now, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is found in, in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, where God says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. God says that, that he has loved you. He's loved me with a love that has no end. Everlasting means it lasts forever. He's loved us. That's how much he's loved us. When did he start loving us that way? Before he ever created us. Before there was anything, folks, before there was any space, before there was any time, before there was any planet, that's how much God loved us. Now, how do you know that? Because it says that before the foundation of the world, the, the Lamb was slain for us. See, God only has one plan. God loves us that much. And He doesn't just love us, folks. It says, therefore, because of that love, I've drawn you with loving kindness. Now, we read that, and we, and we don't really understand what that means. How many of you have ever heard the word woo? W-O-O. Okay? Okay. That's the Hebrew meaning for drawn. I've drawn you to myself. I have wooed you. I have I've given gifts. And I, I've poured out blessings on you. And I've whispered sweet nothings in your ear. And I've sung over you. You say, Well, that's not the God of that's not the God of the Bible. Well, yes it is. It is. God talks about himself as being the husband, the lover of Israel. How many of you have ever heard of the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon? How many of you have actually ever read it all the way through? Okay. It is the relationship between a husband and a wife. Okay. But the ancient Israelites interpreted it as the love of God for the, for the nation of Israel. And it's pretty... I mean, it make you blush. Amen? I ain't going there this morning, but it'll make you blush. You know what? The early church interpreted it as the, as the relationship between Christ and the bride, us. You don't think God's a lover? Read the Song of Solomon this afternoon. I'll guarantee if you start reading it, you won't be able to put it down. I promise you. I promise you. Read it this afternoon. God is I love He has drawn us. He has wooed us. And, and, it, and it, there's a word there that, that we're not real familiar with. We are, but we don't really realize it. It's, it's, it's kessed. It's loving kindness. It's the Old Testament word for grace. We all know about grace. Well, there's grace in the Old Testament too. The Hebrews just called it kessed, loving kindness. God says He has drawn us. He has pursued us. He has opened Himself up us but folks we have to reciprocate we have to pursue him and we have to open ourselves up to him listen to the requirements it's real simple it's found in Jeremiah 29 13 God says and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart that's pretty simple that's what it says in the Hebrew that's what it means in the English you will find me when you search for me with all your heart well I thought I thought it was free Salvation is free. Relationship requires that we pursue, that we go after that person. Intimacy is a two-way street. You can't wait for it to arrive. You pursue it. 
You go after it. So this morning, I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants each of us to ask ourselves the same question. And the answer to that question this morning will likely determine what happens in 2013. And, and that answer will guide every other decision we make this year. And this is, it, it's interesting because it's the very first question God asks in the Bible. If you've got your Bible, turn over to Genesis chapter 3. Now I want you to understand something. God never asks questions to get answers. You do realize that, don't you? He's not like us. When I need to know something, I usually have to ask a question. Where are my car keys? If I knew where my car keys were, I wouldn't ask. God asks questions not to get answers. God already knows the answers. He's omniscient. God asks questions so that we'll stop for a moment and consider our situation. That's why he asks the questions. So we'll stop and go, oh, wait a minute. Hmm. Our answer to the question that God asks here could be our first step in a passionate pursuit of an intimate relationship with God. Now here's the question. It's found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. And it says, Then the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? That's the same question he's asking us this morning. Where are you? God's asking every one of us, where are you? And you know what? This is not one of those questions where you can dodge and go, if I put my head down and don't raise my hand, the teacher won't call on me. This question will haunt you. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Now, most of us understand the context of this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but, but in essence, the, the man and the woman have disobeyed God. They've eaten the fruit. And all of a sudden, they've realized that they're naked. And they're ashamed. And they feel guilty. And what happens is, is, is they retreat into the bushes, into, the, into the, to the trees, and they hide themselves. Why? Because they're filled with fear and shame, and they're wounded. And they're not just wounded a little bit. They're mortally wounded with sin. But yet, as you read this text, it seems that every day, God came for a visit. It seems like it was a routine, that God would come in the cool of the day. Now, a lot of people would say, well, that's the morning. And you know what? If you want to meet God in the morning, that's okay. But the reality of it was in the world, and it's the same today in that part of the world, that in the evenings, cool breezes blow. Not in the mornings, in the evenings. And so, my, my opinion, for what it's worth, is that God came in the, in the evening, in the afternoon. And He came walking in the garden. And He was headed for a specific place to meet with some specific people. And that was the place where God revealed Himself. Where God said, hey, here I am, look at me. Check me out, i got nothing to hide from you. And that's where they revealed themselves. That's where they got to know who they were and why they were created and what they were there to do. It was in that, that meeting every day. And God didn't just dump it out on them. It was little by little. He just revealed himself. And, and what happened is relationship was building. And that's how relationship happens. That's, 
you know, whether you believe in dating or not, that's why we date. Okay, so we can uncover the mysteries of that other person and get to know them little by little. Because to be honest with you, if we just went, hey, this is who I am on the first date, what would happen? He would be with somebody else next Friday night, and she would be too, probably. Because that scares us. So God revealed a little bit at a time. And, and what happened is there was a relationship that was being forged. But the reality of it is, is that God was pursuing them, but all of a sudden they stopped pursuing God. Intimacy and relationship, like I said, is a two-way street. It takes both God and me. It takes both God and you. God's always present. He's always on time. And He's always awaiting our arrival. And that's why he asked the question, where are you? Now, that question can be looked at in a couple of different ways. It can be translated into a statement of fact. In other words, you're not where you're supposed to be. And I really believe that's, that's, that's one of the main things. When God gets to that spot, they're not there. Now, God knows they're not going to be there. I mean, under, understand me, okay? But he says, where are you? You're not where you're supposed to be, Adam. We have a prearranged time, a prearranged place, but you're missing. You're not here. Now, I want you to understand something. This is not an angry God. Okay? This is not an angry God. Smoke's not billowing out of his ears. He's not got his lightning bolts cocked and ready to fire. He's not, I mean, if he had, he would have just went, he'd have fired them from heaven. He never would have tromped through the garden. But that's not the picture of who God is. Even in the Old Testament in this place, he's not angry. Folks, this is a father looking for his kids. He's looking for his kids. You know what, they've knocked the, the prize lamp off the table, and it's broken a thousand pieces. They've painted the walls in the bedroom. You understand what I'm saying? This is a father looking for his kids. God will always meet us. But you know what? We have to show up as well. Are you where you're supposed to be in your relationship with God right now? You've got to answer that. Are you actively pursuing God? Or are you pursuing something else? You can't have the kind of relationship I'm talking about unless God's number one. See, God will not be one of many things that has my attention. God must be the sole thing that has my attention. That doesn't mean that I can't enjoy football. It doesn't mean that I can't enjoy eating. It doesn't mean I can't enjoy coming to church. But you know what? None of those things can reach the level of my enjoyment and my passion for God. That's all that means. He's, he's not going to share himself. He's not going to be one of many things. But you know what? Adam and Eve chose knowledge. They thought that that would be better than God. We'll be like God. If you read Genesis chapter 1... And chapter 2, very closely, you will find that God created them like himself. They were created in his image and his likeness. They were like God. What have you chosen this morning instead of God? 
What have you allowed to occupy that place, that first place? It could be your job. It could be your children. It could be your family or your spouse. It could be pleasure or hobbies or money or position or power. It could be fear or frustration or insecurity or unbelief or anger or disappointment or rejection or depression. It could be a hobby. It could be laziness. It could be your cell phone. It could be Twitter. It could be Facebook. It could be your computer. It could be your TV. It could be a million different things. And most of them are probably good things. But folks, you can have good things or you can have the best thing. The choice is ours. Nothing can replace God. That's why there's a frustration in your life right now. If you sense that this morning, something is just not what it ought to be. I'm not hitting on all eight cylinders. There's something wrong. That's why that frustration is there. That's why there's a sense of, of meeting. You have an appointment to keep, but you're not keeping it. Relationship could be spelled T-I-M-E. You will never have a relationship with God until you carve out some time to spend with God. Well, Nelson, how long should it be? You and God make that decision. Okay? You may need to stay not as long as I need to stay, and I may not need to stay as long as you need to stay. It's not about how much. It's about I get to spend time with God. See, there's a hunger. There's a difference in how much time. When you start asking how much and what is and all that kind of stuff, it's not about intimacy anymore. It's about religion. Okay? And religion kills. Intimacy gives life. Nothing can replace God. Folks, you and I were created to spend quality time with God. To walk in the garden. And whether you realize this or not or believe this, when Jesus died on the cross, he restored the ability for us to have that garden kind of relationship again. He did. Now, what's keeping you from your appointment? Why are you not where you're designed to be? Where are you? Where are you is also a question of location. God's not asking the question so he can locate Adam and Eve. And he's not asking it this morning for us to figure out where we're at either. God knows exactly where we're at. Now God makes this question. He, he has this inquiry so that we'll stop and look around and, and kind of take the data and the information and think about it for a few minutes. The question could honestly be, why are you hiding? Why are you hiding from me? That, that's, that's really what the question is. Adam, Eve, why are you hiding from me? Nelson, why are you hiding from me? You put your name in the blank. Why are you hiding from me? See, God knows exactly where we're at. The reality, though, is that we hide because we don't want to be found. Say, that's kind of hard, Nelson. That's kind of true. See, I have to deal with this stuff before I 
dose it out to you, okay? Tell them, why are you hiding? Well, God, I don't really want to be found. That's why we hide. We don't have an intimate relationship because we don't want an intimate relationship. J. Oswald Sanders, a tremendous saint of God, once wrote, We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. True, there are times when we'd like to know a deeper intimacy. But when it comes to the, that point, we are not prepared to pray the to pay the price involved. Adam and Eve were hiding in the bushes because they didn't want transparency anymore. They didn't want God to see them. They didn't want God to know what they had done. They weren't willing to pay the price anymore. Folks, transparency reveals everything about us. There's nothing and there's no place to hide. Where relationship once rested, fear now reigns in their life. And, and for the most part, the same is true in us. We're fearful. The sound of God walking in the cool of the day that had once filled them with anticipation and expectation now filled them with fear and dread. See, we've believed the lie of the enemy that God is an angry God who's out to get us. That's a lie. Okay? That's a lie. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, God is not out to get you. He's not waiting to mess your life up. Folks, sin moved in. It took residence. And sadly, that's the re- the biggest reason that we don't have intimacy with God. That passionate relationship is because we've sit hidden sin. You know what? Hidden sin is like a snake that you keep in your pocket. Every, so, every once in a while you take him out and you rub him on the head and you put him back in your pocket. Listen to me. You put a real snake in your pocket and you rub its head every once in a while, it will bite you. It may not bite your hand, it will bite your leg. Sin is sin. No matter what it is, no matter how much it's hidden, listen to me, sin will ruin you and it will ruin your relationships with your family and those that you love. It will be exposed. God will expose it. Unless we confess it. You say, well, what is confession? Confession just means to say, God, this is 100% exactly what you said it is. It's wrong. And when we confess it, then we repent of it, and we're forgiven. God, forgive me. See, God's calling question in the garden was designed to force Adam and Eve to look at what they had done, why they were hiding, and to cause them to say, God, we blew it. We messed up, God. We did exactly what you told us not to do. God, we were just like little kids. You told us not to, to, to get up on the shelf and get that down, and we did. We did it, God. We don't have an excuse. You see, God's grace would have been just as sufficient for them at that moment that it is for us at this moment. It would have been. But you know what they did? Instead of going, God, we blew it. God, I blew it. You know what Adam did? She gave me the fruit, God. She did it. It's her fault. You know what she did? By the way, she has no name at this point yet. 
the woman. You know what the woman did? God, it was the snake. He did it. They played the blame game. And see, that's what we do. We blame everybody else for the garbage that's ours instead of taking responsibility and just saying, God, this is my garbage can here. Everything that's in it is mine. Please help me, God. I, I can't dump it. I don't know what to do with it. They played the blame game. Folks, if you really want intimacy, if you really want a relationship, an intimate relationship with God, then you have to take individual responsibility for your sin. Sin always separates it, and it soils. See, it mars the transparency of the relationship. But confession brings cleansing. And when confession comes, you know what happens to fear and shame? It evaporates. It goes away. Listen to me. Don't make resolutions this year. Repent. Repent. Just say, God, yeah, this is mine. I did this. I disobeyed you. Repent. Wait out of the bushes. See, if they had come running out of the bushes and fell, you know, fell into God's arms, things might be a little different today. Now, one thing I do know, Jesus would have had to die for them. I know that. Okay? Because the blood of goats and bulls and pigeons and all lambs is not enough. It, 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 it took the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know what? We might not be where we're at today. You know what? What's going on in your family today and in your life personally today might change if you just repent it. You said, God, I own this. It's mine. Please help me. See, he's not looking for an opportunity to bust you with a lightning bolt. He's not disappointed. I've already said this this morning. He, he poured out all that stuff on Jesus at the cross so that we could intimately pursue a relationship with him. Folks, today, for us, this is not a matter of, of can we. It's a matter of will we. Will we. Will we forsake the things we think will satisfy the hunger of our souls? Will we confess our sinfulness and our inability and repent so that the seasons of refreshing can fall on us? This is not about ability and capability. This is about our heart. It's about the question of where are we? Am I really as desperate as I claim to be? Am I really as miserable as I tell everyone I am? Do I really want God? You know what? The answer depends on whether or not you're willing to pay the price. You can have as much of God right now as you want. God proclaimed what he desired by putting Jesus on the cross. What you really want depends on how much how you answer this question this morning. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Not where are where is my husband? Where is my wife? Where's my friend? Where's so and so? But where are you? See, this is a personal, I'm talking about a personal intimacy, not a corporate intimacy. Intimacy doesn't happen with crowds. Intimacy happens with two individuals, one-on-one. Where are you this morning? Let's pray. 
For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.